Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. Hey, thanks for being with me today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. Today's conversation centers around depression, and I'm joined in this conversation by neuropsychologist and author, Dr. Michelle Bankson. Dr. Michelle is here to talk with us about the warning signs of depression, but also the treatment options. And what I love is the fact that she addresses not only the typical medical and psychological treatment options, but the spiritual treatment options as well. Before we get going today, I have a quick announcement. Beloved Collective is getting an upgrade. Our private Facebook group has been growing, but we see a need for better security and an enhanced experience. So beginning August 15th, Beloved Collective will transition away from Facebook and onto a new website where we have already begun building a unique free community experience called the Plus One Parents Collective. Check your email and watch our social media accounts over the next couple of weeks for more details. Over the last several months, I've received several emails from women asking, where is the loneliness type quiz? And it is back. As single moms, loneliness is something we all have to deal with, but the reasons why we each deal with it are different and don't have that much to do with being in a relationship. To learn more about your experience with loneliness, what's causing it, and some of the ways out, start with our What's Your Loneliness Type quiz. And you'll find a link to that down in the show notes or by heading over to plusoneparents.org. Whether you are dealing with depression or perhaps a friend of yours, a relative, or maybe even one of your children, I think you'll find Dr. Michelle's approach so very life-giving. And where that comes from is the fact that she is not only a clinician, but she's a woman who has battled this herself. Here's my conversation with Dr. Michelle Bankson. Dr. Michelle, it is so great to have you with me. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I hope that your listeners find this to be a real encouragement. Absolutely. Yes. And I want to talk to you today about something we need a lot of encouragement with, and that is depression. A lot of listeners are going through some pretty difficult things, and some are aware that they're dealing with depression as well. This is maybe something they've battled for a long time. And they are are very, very clear on what it is that they're trying to walk through. However, there may be other listeners who know that this is hard, but aren't really sure that maybe is there something else that's making this even more difficult for them. So I wanted to know if you would start us by talking a little bit about depression, um, how it can go untreated if we're unaware of it very often, and we are unaware of it, and how in your own personal experience, you were able to become aware that it was in fact what you were dealing with. I used to tell audiences when I would speak that by 2020, depression would be our greatest epidemic worldwide without knowing that we were all going to go through a global pandemic. And that was going to make an already significant and severe occurrence 
even worse. And I think that's what we've seen. By 2020, it really was the greatest epidemic worldwide. And now we throw on top of that all the uncertainty that people have been through the last couple of years and depression has increased, anxiety has increased. But even before then, in 30 years of private practice and seeing patients, the majority of the time when patients would come in my office and I would do an evaluation to figure out what were we dealing with and what areas of concern did we have, by and large, when I gave feedback to a patient that what they were really struggling with was depression, they really had no idea. Mm. And I think that that is true in the general public as well. Part of it is because depression doesn't usually just come on overnight. Mm-hmm. It, it starts with relatively benign symptoms, usually. And if left untreated, then we get to a place where it is a clinically diagnosable condition. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people will co- would come into my office and they would describe symptoms thinking it was anxiety. Mm-hmm. And frequently there's an overlap. Many mm-hmm. people who struggle with depression also experience anxiety and other people who experience anxiety down the line will also experience depression. That's very common. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easier for us to recognize the jitters and feeling nervous. And we know what worry is, yeah. but it's harder to recognize the symptoms of depression. And they vary. They vary across age groups and they vary across genders. And then they also vary just based on our upbringing and our other, our other um, personality predispositions, if you will. Mm-hmm. But almost always in a case of depression, there is a significant change in mood. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who experiences depression will identify with the term, I'm just feeling depressed. Frequently, they will describe things like just being unable to concentrate, or they just don't find interest in previously enjoyable activities as much. Some people who are depressed don't experience the blues so much as they do experience irritability or Mm -hmm. agitation. Mm -hmm. And that is what makes it harder sometimes to recognize depression in ourselves. A lot more of my male clients can identify with the irritability and agitation, but not with a depressed mood per se. Mm -hmm. But then we also almost always see some kind of change in our daily functioning in terms of we're not as interested in doing things with other people. We have decreased interest in all the things that previously brought us joy. We don't want to do them anymore. And most people will experience some kind of change in appetite or in sleep or in energy level. And this is another contributing factor to what makes it so hard to identify depression is that for those who experience appetite disturbance, some will want to eat all the time and others, they won't have any appetite. And the same is true of sleep. Some Mm -hmm. will have insomnia and can't sleep when they're depressed and others just want to sleep all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what contributes to it being so difficult to recognize in ourselves. It seems like we have this picture of what we think depression should look like. And so if we don't fit that, then we're like, oh, well, I'm not, I must not have, I must not be dealing with depression per se. Exactly. Can you help us to understand, Dr. Michelle, you know, let's say, for example, that a woman is is walking through a divorce or a separation, something that is really difficult and traumatic. Mm-hmm. How can she pinpoint whether or not this is 
the fallout of walking through something that is hard Mm -hmm. and then maybe also complicated by depression. First of all, I would tell her, don't try to diagnose yourself. Mm, That's good. (laughs) If you are noticing some signs and symptoms, first of all, what I always tell every individual who's concerned is, first of all, go see your medical provider. And the reason I say that is because there are a lot of medical conditions that will appear that also have signs and symptoms that overlap with depression. And so we never want to treat something as a mental health issue when there's an underlying medical root and that you can't diagnose for yourself. So first of all, if you're concerned, go see your doctor. But another thing to keep in mind is that stress can affect us both physically and bring on some of those medical conditions, but it also affects us emotionally and mentally. And a lot of times when we go through difficult experiences like a divorce or the loss of a child or loss of a job or a move, something like that, there is a period of adjustment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will experience what's called an adjustment disorder with depressed mood, meaning we anticipate some of the things that you're going through are normal for an adjustment period, but you might also be experiencing some subclinical signs of depression. You know, you lose your job and then you don't have the finances and you worry about your children and then you're not sleeping or you're, or you get two jobs to compensate. But if you notice a significant change in mood, a significant change in energy level, and some of those what we call vegetative signs and symptoms, the sleep, the appetite, Mm -hmm. the energy, decreased motivation. If it lasts more than a couple of weeks and it's starting to impact your daily life, that's probably a good indication that you for sure want to get in and just consult with somebody to see if it's something that treatment would be helpful for. And there are a variety of treatments for depression. It's not always medication. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's therapy. Sometimes it's just reassessing your life to see, okay, in this stressful time, have I fallen back on really bad eating habits or am I sacrificing exercise in order to get more things done? So there's a wide variety of ways that we can treat it. But the important thing is not to try to evaluate yourself. Yeah, I think that's so wise. I think a lot of times we go to like Dr. Google because, you know, we are maybe feeling reluctant to go and seek professional help for one reason or another. Perhaps we feel like, well, maybe it's really not that bad. And so I don't want to spend the money on it. You know, it's, I can just get through it or I don't have the money and, you know, this is not a place I want to spend it and, or whatever the case might be. But then what can end up happening is we just keep going on and on and on. And as you said, something that starts out kind of small, then just becomes, it just balloons. And at least having another set of eyes on the situation can give us perspective to say, no, the reason this is so hard for you is because you're dealing with this, or the reason this is so hard for you is because this is hard, (laughs) you know, and whatever the case is though, not to put that burden on ourselves and to recognize that caring for ourselves in that way it just opens us up to the care from other people that we really need. And that in turn helps us to be better for our kids and better just in general, you know, it increases our well being. And so, and I'm totally guilty of this, of, of constantly trying to just be like, how can I stay out of the doctor's office? But it, it's not always, <laughs> it's not often the best way to do things. It's better to, to approach it and to just get some clarity, I think. And yeah. I think a lot of times when we're dealing with depression, anxiety, you know, heavy issues, those types of things that 
one of the things we lack is clarity. And it's so hard for us to know how, how can we move forward, but we don't have to put that upon ourselves to figure that out. I think that's so true. And, and it's difficult to know, is this abnormal or not? You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't want to talk about things like depression, Mm -hmm. but I think one of the most important things for your listeners to hear is it's not your fault. Mm. Depression is a medical condition, just like diabetes, heart disease, asthma, or allergies. Your brain is your biggest vital organ. And there is unfortunately still some stigma around mental health issues. But what I want your listener to hear is it's not your fault and it's a medical condition. So let's take care of it so that you can be your best for yourself in the long term, as well as for your children and your grandchildren. I love that you said that. I know somebody is listening right now and absolutely needed to hear that. Let's talk about those roots of depression. And where this can kind of stem from, but then also how we address that misconception that this is an issue of faith. One of the biggest areas that depression stems from is from our genetics. So research has shown us that if you have a parent or a a grandparent who struggles with depression, the likelihood is much greater that you will also suffer from it at some point, maybe not even a clinical case, but but I also want your listeners to hear that's that's not a one-to-one ratio. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like alcoholism. If you have a parent who's an alcoholic, you will have a greater predisposition, but that does not mean you're necessarily going to become an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But it's important that we know our family history as well as possible, whether we're talking depression or anxiety or heart disease or cancer. So we know to be a little bit more vigilant to the mm-hmm. signs and symptoms. So our genetics is one of the primary roots, but there can also be chemical imbalances that result from periods of intense stress. When we go into intense stress, our brain takes over with this fight or flight response. But what happens is that in this day and age, we have become so accustomed to functioning at such high levels of stress Mm -hmm. that our brain never has a chance to go back to a normal state of homeostasis. So we're constantly have that high cortisol running through our system. So our brain constantly thinks we're in an emergency Mm -hmm. and that can contribute to depression. And it's real interesting because I had not ever really thought about the spiritual aspect of depression until I went through it myself. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was very ill physically and I was on medically induced bed rest for five months. I had two surgeries. I was kept alive on IV hydration and nutrition. I dwindled from 113 pounds down to a skeletal 74. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in that sick bed and thinking, God, if, if this is going to be my life, I'm not sure that I want to continue. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to hope for. And it was during that time that depression kind of took root. And the longer I remained physically ill, the worse the depression got. And I did all the things that I had recommended to patients for two decades. And they helped. I made sure that I was prioritizing rest. And once the doctor said I was medically stable enough, I got back to slowly got back to exercise. And I made sure that once I was starting to take in my own nutrition, I was eating balanced meals. I went to therapy. I tried medication. And what I want your listeners to hear, all those things helped. 
But for me, they were not enough to fully take the depression away. Mm -hmm. And there was one particular day I remember just sobbing and crying out to God saying, you know, I'm doing everything I would normally suggest to my patients to do. I must just be joy immune. And I think it was like the next day a friend had called. I was going into surgery and she called the night before and, and she said, I know you know this already, but I just want to remind you that the Bible says, although weeping may last for the night, his joy comes in the morning. She didn't know I was having this internal dialogue mm. with God about being joy immune. And I, and it was like that verse that I had read hundreds of times before just really resonated with my spirit. And I've never heard the audible voice of God, but it was like a, I don't know how to describe it other than a whisper in my heart. Mm-hmm. And it was as if God was saying, those promises in my word are for you as much as they are for all of my other children. And mm-hmm. so if I promise that my joy comes in the morning, it is impossible for you to be joy immune. It was such a revelation. It made a huge difference. But then I cried out to God and I said, okay, I did all these things that I would normally recommend and they weren't enough. I cannot go back to being a doctor and suggest things to my patients unless I know they're going to help. You've got to show me what the missing link is. Hmm. And again, it was like a whisper to my heart. And it was as if God was saying, unless you are willing to address the spiritual roots of disease, it is like you're putting a Band-Aid on an infection and hoping it gets well. Hmm. Again, it was like a light bulb. And I thought, spiritual roots of disease, what? What is that? And so God and I really took a long journey and I started doing more research and realizing even in my private practice with mental health, we have to be a little bit careful about bringing up faith issues unless Mm. our patients bring them up first. Mm. And I realized because we had not by and large been addressing spiritual issues with my patients, that's why they would come back. Mm. and have relapsed because we never really did address the spiritual root. And so that changed everything for the next decade. It has Mm. changed everything. It's changed how I work with my patients. It has totally affected the books I write and the podcasts that I lead. It even affected how I parented my children and how I'm a friend. And now it was like the light bulb came off and you can't turn it off once it's come on. Yeah, absolutely. I have a similar experience in you know, in coming, uh, becoming aware of the fact that God created us in three parts, that we have a body, yes, and we have a soul that constitutes our emotions and our thoughts and all those sorts of things. But then the spirit is yeah. so, such a, we are spirit, you know? And so for us to neglect that part though, we never find ourselves fully well. And right. when we look at what treats that spirit, it is things of the spirit. It's being in the word, it's walking with the Lord. It's, it, that's really the only place that we can experience full transformation. And that full transformation then affects the body it affects the mind. It affects our emotions. And Absolutely. so if we are not also recognizing the fact that there's a spiritual component, then we're going to miss out on a lot of healing. And I think though, in that spiritual component, we have to also be aware that there's spiritual warfare in this too, that the enemy would love for us to become discouraged. He would love for us to think this is the way you're always going to be, that you're right. just going to suffer until you die. And there is never going to be any light at the end of the tunnel. But you know, even if you make it through this life, it's going to be a pitiful, existence. And that is not the gospel. That is not 
the way that God has constru- has constructed life for us, even on this side of eternity, that we can walk in freedom here and we're going to wrestle, you know, and, and, and for me, it was wrestling with anxiety for nearly 40 years before I finally had a breakthrough to the point that was like, oh, deep exhale. Like, this is what it's like to not walk around with this, you know, backpack of bricks on my back, you know, but I think the thing that's so critical is that in community, we can share these things together and we can say, no, the Lord did this for me. This is what he taught me. And he can do the same thing for you. I'm not an exception. I'm not a, you know, super, you know, unique person. This is for anyone that his peace is for anyone. His joy is for anyone. And that though we may walk through challenging things that we can access that. And I think the point of access though, and this goes back to your point about stress is recognizing we have to slow down that when we are at that high stress max, we are not doing the things that we need to do to tend to maybe all three, that body, spirit, soul, but certainly not the spirit. And in, in our lives, whether you run at high stress, just because you're a go, go, go kind of person, or perhaps you've been at high stress because you've been in an abusive situation that you grew up perhaps in an abusive situation that the stress thing becomes so normal to us. We just get used to operating at like 98 to 110% all the time. And the thing that I had to start with was the recognition that to to heal, like what you're talking about, physically healing, we're going to have to sometimes lay in a bed and rest, right? And with spiritual healing, I had to say no to a lot of things. I had to start operating at like 60% of what I would say yes to before so that I could just allow my soul room to rest, room to grieve that, you know, if my kids needed me that I could take a breather and then go help them because their needs are increased too, because of the things we're walking through, you know? And so giving ourselves the okay to say, you know what, I got to say no to a lot right now because I need to invest in this healing road. And God meets us in that though. He honors all of those things that we would do to step closer to well, dare to believe us, what he has. Yeah, he gives us the example though. You know, I think about Daniel in the lion's den. Mm-hmm. Daniel slept in the lion's den. <laughs> and Jesus was out on a boat in a horrible storm and he slept. Mm. But the reason they could sleep is because that they trusted that God was in control. Mm. And I love that that is an example for us when life is really stressful and it's calling on all of our reserves. We still have to honor our body's need for rest. Mm. And I think it's when we do just like you did and recognize, okay, for a time period, I'm going to function at a lower level of efficiency or productivity that also allows us to take the time to think about what we're thinking about Mm. so that we can then take our thoughts captive. Mm. But it's when we're go, 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 that I think the enemy knows that we're running at such a high level of efficiency that we were prey for his lies Mm. and us not even recognizing them in the moment. Because we're just so focused on getting whatever needs to be done. But when we will slow down a little bit, we can take more time to think, where is that thought coming from? Mm -hmm. And is that consistent with 
what God says about me in my situation? Or is that coming from another place that I need to reject? Hmm, that's good. You know, and I think the other thing with this too, though, is we don't have to muster this up by our own willpower, that the Holy Spirit is often nudging us and leading us into these things. Like even as I'm talking about, you know, okay, I had to operate at 60%. Yeah, some of that happened because we went into lockdown and my anxiety went through the roof because everything that I was using to cope was gone. <laughs> and so all I could do was sit and, and think and just be in these emotions. It, I mean, it was crushing, but it was by God's kindness that he let that period of time be something that showed me, this is what happens when you slow down. Like it actually, this is, this is what you're trying to cover up. And then recognizing, well, I want all this gone though. So if the busyness is what I'm, I'm using to cover all this stuff up, then when everything opened back up again, I was like, uh, Ooh, I got, I got some, I got to make some changes. I got, I got some, you know, I got to run at a completely different pace now. Um, but that, I don't know that I would have chosen that necessarily had that not happened, you know? And I think there are other ways that the spirit would, would grab onto us and, and show us, Hey, this is time to slow down. And sometimes it might be a disappointment. Sometimes it might be a frustration. Sometimes it is, as you mentioned, they're physical symptoms of fatigue and those types of things that he's, he's alerting to us in many ways. Hey, I, I want, I want to draw you close. I want to draw you into some healing and where we discard those sometimes that if we're sensitive, that the spirit's trying to lead us in that direction that he's going to open us up to a whole lot. Oh, so much so. And, you know, one thing that has comforted me so much in my journey as a type A go-getter, let's get them done kind of person is that we never read in scripture about Jesus running anywhere. Hmm. Jesus knew he had three years to complete his earthly ministry. Three years. For me, if you told me I had three years, I I would probably do the opposite of Jesus and just yeah. try to do more faster. But Jesus never ran anywhere and he took time to rest. Mm -hmm. And yet he still accomplished the greatest ministry that there ever was. Mm -hmm. That's a really good example for all of us. Yes. I read a, a book and it talked about the fact that Jesus had to walk everywhere. So Jesus lived at three miles an hour. That, that was the, the pace of his life. And you're so right though. If somebody told me I had three years to do something, I'd be like, okay, well, let's get the checklist out and let's make yeah. sure we don't waste a single minute. And that's just not, that's not his pace with us. That's so good. <laughs> so Dr. Michelle, as we're talking though about this spiritual side, you know, and we're talking about the fact that though this is not indicating that there's a, an issue of faith going on here when we have this thing. The fact is we can grow our faith in the things that we are doing. And that can be a thing that can, can lead us to healing from, from things we're wrestling with like depression. So can we, can you talk to us about some of those things and how they can help us perhaps move away from some of these tendencies where we are self-isolating or where we're really focusing inward and where our feelings really seem to be dominating us? Yeah, I let me just make a correction. I don't want anyone to think that when I was talking about the fact that we have a spiritual aspect to this, I'm not saying that you lack faith, that you're not praying enough, that you're not keeping the Ten Commandments. I'm saying that we have a very real enemy mm -hmm. who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy from us. And, and that's the root. Uh, but I do think that there are things we can do about that. And that part is our responsibility. First and foremost, 
we need to be in the word. We really need to be in the word because that's our plumb line. Otherwise, I think we have too great of a tendency to try to manage things on our own. Mm -hmm. And our plates are already full. And God wants to help us manage it. He wants to encourage us in the word. And part of one of the biggest things that helped me when I was so depressed that I wasn't sure that I wanted to continue living, I couldn't be at the private practice training patients. And I wasn't able to be at the soccer games for my kids. About all I could do during those five months was sleep, read, watch sermons online, and play praise and worship music. And that night that that friend called that I told you about when she shared that verse with me, I wrote it down on a post-it note and I put it on my IV pool to remember it. But I went another step. I started every time I came across a scripture that spoke to my heart and really resonated with my situation. I wrote it down on a post-it note and I put it where I would see it. So I had post-it notes on my IV pool, on my footboard of my bed, on my light switch, on my bathroom mirror, my dashboard of my car. But every time I saw them, I recited them out loud three times. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did that is because scripture is very clear that faith comes by hearing Mm -hmm. and hearing by the word of God. And so I needed to get it from head knowledge to heart knowledge. But the other reason I did it is because the enemy cannot stand it when we're in God's word. And speaking God's word over our own situations, over our families, over our loved ones. And pretty much during that time, I made it my life mission that I'm going to infuriate the enemy. Yeah. (laughs) And every book book I write comes under a huge spiritual warfare, Mm. but it's worth it Mm. because I want people to realize that even greater than the enemy that comes against us is the God who fights for us. Yeah. And so I would say, if you are struggling Find some verses that really resonate, put them where you'll see them, recite them out loud. But the other thing that was so pivotal in my spiritual healing, as well as my emotional healing, was I was also playing praise and worship music Mm. almost 24-7. And the reason I did that is, for, for one thing, it calmed my spirit. But if I'm being perfectly honest, Michelle, when I was so sick, I didn't feel like praising God. Mm. I knew that the Bible told me, that we should praise God, but I didn't feel like it. But something happened when I played praise and worship music, I would invariably start to hum or sing along. And so I ended up praising God Mm. and that was natural. And I continued to do that because scripture tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. Mm -hmm. And it was so transformative to me that once I became well, I wasn't sure I wanted to go back to private practice. Mm -hmm. I wanted to keep cocooning with God yeah, because his presence was so thick. But the other reason I kept the praise and worship music playing is because I knew that that would make the enemy flee. That's right. I wanted to make him go. He did not have a part in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason why in all of my books now at the end of every chapter, there is a recommended playlist of songs because it was so impactful to me that I wanted to give anything to my readers that would encourage them in their walk. Mm -hmm. In every book, I pray for the reader and I give them scripture that I found particularly helpful in order to encourage them because sometimes they don't know where to start. When you're in the thick of things, sometimes you need someone to speak that over you Mm -hmm. and then more and more, it'll become easier for you to do. Mm -hmm. 
There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. I love that you pointed out just all of these pieces between the word and worship and all of these things. I think a lot of what happens is this battle gets waged in our thoughts and in our hearts and our emotions. And we know though, that those are places where the enemy is so easily able to just insert a lie, to have us believing things. And these are things that could have been following us around since we were children. And Absolutely. so we don't even know that they're lies anymore, you know, and, and the book of Jeremiah talks about the heart being desperately sick. And so for us to look at these spiritual disciplines and understand this is the avenue by which our heart can be healed, that we can, we can read a scripture verse and go, yeah, I don't know if that applies to me, but I'm just going to keep doing it. Cause that's what the lady on the podcast said to do, you know, but there can come so much healing through the repetitions where yeah. you begin to just have this perspective that, wow, maybe, maybe this does apply to me. Maybe this, this is real. Maybe, maybe God is doing these things that he says he's going to do for me to a point where over years and years and years, then you not only are aware of that, but you're expecting it that when an attack comes, you see it and you're like, Oh yeah, mm -hmm, I see you. But I've got the word of God to bolster me that my God is the same, that I can continue to have hope in these things. And, and again, as we talked about transformation, that's where this transformation comes to the point where sometimes things like scripture reading or worship can be, can seem like just something we're kind of having to do that. It can be the thing that, as you said, we're cocooned in and we find so much healing in that we crave it eventually you know, but it, it, it's okay if you don't crave it right at the beginning. And I love that you said it, you know, you may not feel like worshiping, but I do the same thing. We play worship music in the house because I know I, I want to, I want the enemy to understand this is a battlefield right here. And this right. house is under the Lordship of Jesus. That's right. So, mm -mm. <laughs> you know, holy ground and you are not welcome. <laughs> that is right. That is right. And, but Having that attitude towards having worship music playing in the house then is one of those things where you just sense the Lord ministering to you yeah. and then you returning back with praise. Absolutely. And one of the things that you mentioned also in Hope Prevails is the fact that that's where we can understand what the Bible talks about as a sacrifice of praise. That when we're doing these things, when they're hard, when we don't want to, when we don't know if it's going to work, that that aligns scripturally with that understanding of worship being an offering and how this is a thing though, as you said, where God inhabits these praises and his presence just becomes so very real in these really heavy moments. Before I became sick, there was a well-known female Christian speaker and scripture just seemed to roll out of her. And she just seemed so joyful. And this is how the enemy comes in. I remember watching her speak one time and thinking, I want what she has. Mm. But then the next thought was, 
but that's too hard. Mm. Until life was so hard, all I had left was God and his word Mm. and that time to cocoon. And it was life changing, but that's how the enemy comes in with a lie. That thought that I must just be joy immune, that was from the enemy. And the way to defeat it is with the truth of God's word that the weeping may last for the night. No, my joy comes in the morning. And hope prevails is the linchpin scripture for hope prevails is John 10, 10, that says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But the second part of that verse is the encouragement. But I have come that you might have life and life to the full. That's what God wants for us. That's why Jesus came. But it's so important that we slow down and we take the time to spend with God and to be able to think about where our thoughts are coming from. Because you're absolutely right. That is where the battle is fought or lost. Mm, mm. But we have the victory, but we have a responsibility to be in the word. You know, Jesus, when he left the earth, he said, but I'm, but I am sending a comforter to you to Mm. remind you of all truth. Well, the Holy Spirit does remind us of truth, but he cannot remind us of truth that we have not first taken in. That's right. So there is part of it that is our responsibility to play. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And I think one of the other things, you know, it's just, we're talking about the holistic nature of treating depression is to understand that these things, for example, can work in conjunction with some of those other treatment methods that you did mention that getting clear on a lie, sometimes therapy is, is great to get another person's perspective to say, now, where does that thought come from? You know, Or perhaps um, medication, you know, in my case for anxiety, there was a time where I did take medication and it just helps to slow things down a little bit, quiet things down a little bit so that you have the ability to start taking those thoughts captive. But that these, these things, for example, medication on its own, isn't necessarily going to, to just take away forever the things that you're really being burdened by spiritually. And that's why approaching this from a 360 degree kind of an of an approach is just so important to give ourselves as many tools as we can, but that we can know that this is something that we can work through, that God is on our side and that he does want to bring us not just some relief, but he wants to bring us the abundant life that the enemy is absolutely trying to steal from us in bringing these things upon us. So good. Yeah, there is already victory waiting for us. Mm. We have to pursue it. And I think it's so important. There's such a stigma around medication for mental health issues, which really bothers me as both a clinician and a believer. Because if you go back to what I said at the very beginning of our conversation, that depression and anxiety are both medical conditions. And we don't think anything about taking allergy medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that medication is for everyone, but there is a place and frequently medication will help us get over the crux of, of the deepest part so that then we can utilize other tools and skills yeah. to help us maintain a certain level of healing and, and victory. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that you brought that point out. We already know how this ends. <laughs> we already know that we win. And so it's just 
learning how to walk in that at a time that just doesn't feel like we're winning. Not only do we already know we win, the enemy already knows that. Oh, that's and I, good. <laughs> that's why he fights us so hard. It's like yeah. he wants to have as much of the temporal victory as he can because he knows we have the eternal victory. That's right. And that's why the fight continues. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't fight it alone. And I think so often when we are busy managing the crises of life and we feel alone, that's where we have to go back and remember, you know, God's already fought for us. And and frequently in scripture, he tells us, I will fight for you. You need to stand still, but mm-hmm. stand, stand, stand on my word, stand in faith. I am fighting for you. Mm, so good. Dr. Michelle, I have just been so deeply encouraged by our conversation. I just so appreciate all the light that you've been able to shine on this subject. At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? I would want you to know that, first of all, you're not in this fight alone. God fights with you and for you. But I also want you to know that whatever circumstance you're dealing with right now, as difficult and as trying and as overwhelming as it might feel, as long as your focus is on God and the promises of God, every day can still be a good day despite your feelings and despite your circumstances, but keep your focus on the one who can fight the problems for you. Mm, That's so, so good. Thank you so much. Michelle, would you tell listeners about your newest book and your resources and how they can follow you? Yeah, it would be my joy. The newest book is called Today is Going to Be a Good Day, 90 Promises from God to start your day off right. And it was actually birthed out of that time that I told you about when I was on bed rest for five months. During that time, I needed a reason to want to continue going on. I needed a reason to get up every morning. And when that friend called and gave me that verse, the next day, that was my very first today is going to be a good day post on social media. Today is going to be a good day because God's joy comes in the morning. It was Mm -hmm. short and sweet. But it resonated with people. And a couple of weeks later, I think the next one was today is going to be a good day because his mercies are new every morning. A few weeks later, I did another one. And over time, it's become over a six year daily ministry on social media. And that's when my publisher came to me and said, we notice people are really resonating with your today is going to be a good day post. Would you consider writing a devotional with all new content and expand it? And so we did. But what's so nice about it is, first of all, it's a it's a perfect size to throw in a purse, a diaper bag, a glove compartment in mm-hmm. a car. Doesn't take up much room. And for the busy mom who just needs that reminder that God sees her and God loves her, you can read each day in less than two minutes. Mm-hmm. It offers a devotional, a scripture to keep in mind, a reflection question. I pray for the reader. And then we ended up with a recommended playlist song to go with that day because music does have such an impact. But it was was really birthed out of that difficult time because I needed to rise above my feelings and my circumstances. And the only way to do that is to focus on God as our problem solver more than we focus on our problems. So that's the newest book. And there's lots and lots of free resources on my website. We call it the Hope Vault, where there's over 10 years of blog posts, podcast episodes, other books that I recommend, other podcasters to listen to. It's all free. And it's on my website at drmichellebee.com. 
Awesome. And I will include links in the show notes to make it easier for listeners to find all the resources. But thank you so, so much for sitting with me today. It was just lovely having a conversation with you. Oh, it's been my joy. I really hope that it encourages your listeners to know that they're not alone, no matter what they're facing today. If you found this conversation helpful, I've got a couple of others that you might like to listen to as well. Check out episode 110, Defying Disappointment, Confronting the Fear of Joy and Daring to Dream Again with Nicole Zazowski. Also, check out episode 54, The Healing in Feelings, Vulnerability, Connection, and Intimacy with Dr. Chip Dodd. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Also, at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.